This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I invite you to take your Bibles and let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Excuse my voice this evening. I feel fine. I just don't know. As Pastor Coles used to say, there's a frog there and he crossed his legs. So. I have some, thank you. Alright, Revelation chapter 2. Two of the cities that we're hoping to visit on this Bible Lands tour. Among the churches, the cities where the churches of Revelation are located, are Pergamus, Pergamum, and Theatira. That's the correct pronunciation. So we're going to look at those tonight. And again, we want to whet your appetite for uh, this trip and what, uh, what we'll be able to see there. For those that are not able to go, I want to give you enough information uh, that uh, it still will be a great help to you as you study uh, God's Word and, and just rejoice in what God has done. Everyone has the materials, right? So you have the PowerPoint printed out for you. And then I've given you a model of uh, Pergamos, of all the cities we visited. And, and er, there was just something special about each of them when I was there before. But this, this city will take your breath away. Uh, and then when you look at the scripture and what the Lord uh, taught the believers there, it really is amazing. So let's go ahead and get started. Modern Bergamo. You see where it's located. Pergamus, Pergamum. We'll give you some history about the name so you have a better idea. Uh, but you can see where it's at over there by the Aegean. Notice where the churches, the seven churches are located. They're all right there together. Uh, so they all knew each other. Also, and by the way, the Lord could have written to churches all across Asia Minor. But why do you think he chose, what, what are some of the reasons he chose those seven? What do you think? The circulation of the letters. So they all can get the, uh, what was written to these churches. Absolutely. Uh, something else to consider, all those churches represent, in fact, historic, church historians have pointed this out, they all represent different churches, different, um, different needs, different struggles. And so by, by pointing to those seven churches, the Lord identifies every church, local church, in the church age. Good news is represented by one of those churches. And then historians, church historians have also said that those churches also, I don't think it's an accident, tend to point to parts of church history. So, for instance, Ephesus, a pure church, the church of the 
the disciples of the apostles, the first century church, uh, where uh, they're, they're standing against false teaching and so on, and yet the concern is don't, don't lose your first love. And then you have the church at Philadelphia and, and uh, you know, the great missions age that the church has experienced, the William Carey's, the, the uh, Hudson Taylor's, and, and what happened uh, there, the persecuted church. Um, and, and they follow all of that, and I'm not even getting the order right, but then they get up to the last, the church before Jesus comes back. Again, these churches represent different kinds of churches in every age. But it, it's like there, there is one church that really does reflect overall what's happening in the churches. And before Jesus comes back, which of those churches do they often point to to say that's going to be the general condition of the church when the Lord returns? Which one do you think it's going to be? Laodicea, lukewarm, lost its edge, lack of power. Okay, so I don't, I don't claim that that's what the Lord intended to do. I just, I'm just pointing out it's very interesting when you look at it uh, in that light. Uh, however, we're gonna uh, look at Pergamus tonight. Here's some background then about the name. Yes. Yes. This for geography's sake. Can you give me a guesstimate of how far apart these churches are? Like from Pergamos to Laodicea? Is it an hour's drive? Yeah. If you study those, great question. Uh, the average would be about 50 miles, 50 to 60 miles. Yeah. Now, some of them are very close. Um, but on average, from the next city, about 50 miles. Okay. You know, Sardis and Philadelphia, a lot closer, but that's that's generally what what you're talking about. Okay. All right. So, Pergamum from the Latin, Pergamentum, Greek, uh, Pergamini, parchment. The, where we get our word parchment derives its name from that name, Pergamum. Why? Because of the process developed in Pergamum of making sheepskins into writing material. When you hear parchment, now you know where it all started. Okay? Uh, happened in Pergamum. The kings of Pergamum collected a library, in fact, of 200,000 volumes there, which when Pergamum turned its loyalty over to the Roman Empire, that library was ceded to the Romans and eventually transported to Alexandria, Egypt, for, you've probably heard of this queen, Cleopatra. Okay. Now, originally, this was part of Alexander the Great's empire. When the empire was divided, Pergamum, which obviously is right next door to Greece, remember this vast empire he had, and things really began to come apart the further away you got from Greece. The generals, the four generals, 
divided up his empire. All right. Well, while they were struggling for all that conquered land, what was closest to Greece, uh, it enjoyed relative peace. And it was during that time that uh, Pergamum enjoyed independence. In fact, it became its own kingdom. But then she gave her, uh, her loyalty, gave up the kingdom to this mighty power to the west called Rome. For protection. Why? Well, Antiochus of Syria was trying to reclaim all of Alexander's empire. But what do we know about uh, Antiochus of Syria? How many of you have ever heard the no name Antiochus Epiphanes? Same dude. What do we know about him? He was brutal. Okay. He's the guy the sacrifice the pig in the temple in Jerusalem. He was throwing people off the temple mount. Okay, who didn't agree with him, uh, which led to a Jewish revolt, the revolt of the Maccabees, where they drove him out of Palestine. Okay, but he was brutal, and these people living in, living in Pergamos are like, we don't want him. And so Rome, because of who he was and his instability, they moved east to try to stop him because if he had had his way, he would have gone to Rome. They don't want that. And so Pergamus said, uh, we know who we organize with here. So they turned the keys to the city <laughs> over uh, to the Romans, uh, which brought them great favor with Rome and continue their stability as a city. Okay? So became, and, and when that happened, the former kingdom of Pergamum became the Roman province of Asia and the providential capital. And by the way, that was the capital for 400 years. How old is America? Yeah. We're, we're a pretty young nation, even, by, by uh, history standards. Okay. So, four centuries. Now the worship in Pergamos, and this begins to shed light on then what we're going to read in Revelation. The worship was a combination of Greek mythology. So you had temples to uh, Dionysus, Athena, Asclepius, Demeter, Zeus. And then you had the emperor call, that came in with Rome, where you worship the Caesars. They're gods too. Okay, now located 1,300 feet above uh, the uh, Caicos uh, River Valley, it made the ideal worship center to the gods who could also protect the people. So those of us that were in Israel, when we were on Masada, Masada's 1,900 feet up. Pergamus is 1,300 feet up off the valley floor. So it was a well-protected spot. That said, the two main deities that were worshipped, Dionysus, this is the god of fruitfulness, wine. This is the Roman god of uh, ecstasy, pleasure, 
And so he was the favored god of the kings. But along with him was Asclepius, there we go, got out, the god of healing. Here's what's interesting. I give you a picture of both these. Does any of this remind you from something in the Old Testament? Okay. That's not an accident. Not an accident. Satan is behind all this mythology and worshiping these gods and all the debauchery that goes with it. But he doesn't ever come up with anything new. He is a lousy imitator, but he wants to detract from all this was meant to point to Messiah. Look and live, my brother live. Look to Jesus now and live. But that's what that's what uh, happened with that. So we'll see this many times on the side of a hospital. And as as I was a kid growing up, knowing the Old Testament, I thought, oh, that's talking about look to the serp, the bronze serpent, and, and live. Greek mythology. Now take a look at your model. On top of that 1,300 foot mountain is Pergamos. You can walk around these ruins and it is quite remarkable. Fortunately, I've promised you you don't have to do uh, as much walking as Israel. They'll bust you right up to the top and you just get out and walk, walk among the ruins. Okay. But this is the temple to Zeus. This is one of the largest amphitheaters in all of Asia Minor, including Ephesus. This thing is bigger than what, what you see at Ephesus. All those gods that we mentioned, see if you can count how many temples. One. The whole mountain, seven. They're everywhere. Okay. Now everything that, that we're looking at is going to bear significance when it comes to what the Lord said uh, to the church that was here. But I want to break some things down now for you and let you see, if you travel there, what you get to see today. There's the amphitheater. See where the arrow is? Mm -hmm. You can see some people. That kind of gives you an idea. <laughs> it's breathtaking, but you're standing there kind of holding on to each other, going, well, and you can go wherever you want. It's safer here at the top. But notice then where the amphitheater is. Here's the platform for the temple to Zeus. I'm going to show you two pictures. When you see this today, it's a grass area and there are a few stones. The reason for that is the Germans took all these pieces, took them to Berlin and rebuilt it. By the way, uh, some of Hitler's construction was based on these temples in these Asia Minor cities. In fact, uh, there's a famous picture of him with all Hitler with all of his armies in front of him, and you see the 
did they call it? Was it the Chancellery? I forget what they called it. They're wrapped around and big Nazi symbol on top. Uh, and he's standing right there and he's speaking to these thousands of soldiers and so on. What did he pattern it after? Okay. Uh, in fact, he was, he was trying to make Berlin a city that modeled but surpassed anything that was known in history to that point. <clears throat> he had great, great plans. How about what's left then in Pergamus itself? That's what's left. Okay. Now, one of the things that's disappointing about a city like this when you get to Asia Minor, as opposed to what they're doing with excavating in Israel, they want to know, because that is their history of what God did, right? And, and in fact, uh, all across the world, Christians and organizations are putting money into Israel to dig all that out and see, all right, what? because we, we love it when they find things that continue to support the Scripture. They don't care so much here. And so, that more or less is a tell. Wouldn't you love to know what's underneath all that dirt? Sure. Okay. Um, one of the things that, that I'm looking forward to when we get back is I want to see, for instance, Colossae. We visited Colossae. You know what Colossae was though, when we were there oh, 12 years ago? It was a tell. They know what a tell is. It's a big mound of dirt, and all the ruins are still underneath it. And in fact, Colossi, there was a farmer on top who was farming the top of the city. And as we're walking around up there, guys like me, I, I got to tie my hands and put them <laughs> in my pocket because all this pottery and all stuff is working up through the soil and has been for years. And they're just thrown to the side so they can plant there or whatever. And that's, it's Colossi under there. Okay. So, uh, but as, as you stand here looking down on the valley, to your right is that amphitheater we talked about. And up here is the rest of the, of the temple structure. Okay. Now let's talk about the church, and I want to keep moving because uh, this is where we really want to spend our time. Everything that you've seen bears on what the Lord said to this church. So let's take a look. The church believed to have been founded by Paul during his ministry in Ephesus or founded by believers from Ephesus who were taking the gospel to their neighbors. From church history, the best we can tell is it was a church plant out of Ephesus. Okay? Now, the church is only mentioned in the book of Revelation. So, the information we have is limited. Let me just ask you to write down this uh, scripture reference and... And I think, and we're going to talk about it later, but it could have bearing on Pergamos as, to, as well. Uh, write down Acts 19 and verse 10. 
Acts 19 and verse 10. Um, and just, just hold that in your mind. We'll, we'll come back to it, okay? Because one of the things that's of interest to us is, so who planted these churches? Uh, we know Paul was in Ephesus. We, we see actual accounts and acts about him being there. Uh, we know he was in Philippi. We don't know that he ever got to Colossae, Laodicea, uh, though he he, adre- he talks about those churches and believers in those churches. Okay. Now what did the Lord say to this church? Well, if you look at, you're in Revelation, chapter 2. It starts out with the Lord saying, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Of all the equipment that a Roman soldier carried, in fact, the weapon that the rest of the world feared out of Rome the most, what do you think it was? It was the sword. The sword was called the gladius. It was uh, it was Two, two-edged. Uh, the, the Roman soldiers trained the most with the gladius. And that shield was intended to do really one thing. Get them close enough to you that they could put that sword to work on. So there's a story about a Macedonian king. It would have been this same area, okay, who decided to try to go against Rome. And I read this in Military Heritage Magazine. I have great kids. They buy me a uh, prescription. Subscription. Prescription. They might need to buy me that in the future. But subscription every year of that. And they had a fascinating article about the that two-edged sword. And it, they tell the story of this Macedonian king that uh, they, they got whooped by the Romans during the day. And so he had this great idea to send troops out onto the battlefield at night and bring back the dead so that they could show honor to the dead in, and, and strengthen morale so they were ready for the fight the next day. Well, they brought these soldiers into camp, and it had just the opposite fa- effect because those Romans literally, I don't want to be crass tonight, if they got close enough, they could disembowel you with that sword just like that. That's how, that's how good they were with it. And so... This is the capital of really the central part of the Roman Empire, Asia Minor. This is former Greek land, okay? But when you study this, what does the Lord start out with? Seat of the Roman Empire, obviously is Rome, but this was the province of Asia, okay? And... uh, one Bible teacher mentioned that because of the honor given, remember, if you were a Roman Roman citizen, you you were well protected. Paul proved that, right? But there was one city that was even given the right to execute a Roman citizen if they felt it was it was uh, okay. It was Pergamos. So they used the sword, uh, a well defended city. And we could go on and on, but how does the Lord start out talking to this church in this well-fortified city that is just the the shining light of the gods? 
I love this. These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. You may know kings, you may worship kings, but let me tell you about King Jesus. And then later on in Revelation 2, it'll talk about the fact that out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword. Okay. He doesn't even have to lift his hand. He just opens his mouth. All right. So Jesus' superiority over imperial power and the state religion. So he's reminding this church who's really in charge here. Next, verse 13, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Okay. Jesus' awareness of the satanic influence on the city uh, that was opposing the church. He reminds them of that as well. Now with everything that you saw there, who is the top Greek god? And of all those magnificent temples, what was the main temple? And where do you think, what do you think the Lord was referring to about Satan's seat? Within Zeus. I think it's very significant that today, it's a pile of dirt and rocks. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. But these folks were having to live in that kind of a place. Now, how how rough was that place? Well, verse thirteen again: Thou holdest fast my name, and hast not not denied my faith even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Remember, the Lord sees all things. We can't always see what Satan's up to, but God can, right? And just based on what he says here, I think that this was actually, my personal conviction is that this was a special place to the devil. This was one of his hangouts, one of his haunts. So the Lord knew what he was doing there. And with all that debauchery and, and what was going on, the fact that these believers in Pergamos were holding fast to his name. Now, here, here's something else to know. Loyalty to the Caesars was important. When you entered these cities, and Pergamos especially, there was a there was always a statue of the most recent Caesar and there was always incense burning at his feet. And you were expected when you entered that city to take a little bit of incense and toss it in there to prove loyalty. The, the residents of that city and others knew who was not showing up to show loyalty to Caesar. Okay, They were marked. Christians were marked. We don't know what it was about Antipas. But here's what church history tells us. Here's what church tradition tells us. Remember I talked about the favorite God of the kings. The God of ecstasy. Do you know what one of his symbols was? The others was the snake on the pole. His symbol was a bronze bull. And history tells us that Antipas, they had a hollowed out bronze bull to that god. They tied him up and they burned him alive in that bronze bull. That's how he died. Now, 
can't can't say for sure. What we can say for sure is this. All right. What we can say is in this capital city, the Lord knew who was true to His name, and the very name of one who was loyal and suffered violently even unto death. Antipas. We're going to get to meet these people in heaven. Hi, I'm Antipas. I've read about you. Okay. So that was the background. But imagine living there under this kind of pressure. One, uh, one Bible commentator said this, uh, Blake Locke, for those whose daily lot was to live in oppressive proximity to the mingled cults of paganism, there was deep temptation to compromise. Your life, just the draw, all that magnificence, and just the draw to participate, okay? be out there to see, to watch. So here's what the Lord says in verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Those are the two biggies in these cities. Remember, Paul helps the Corinthians understand there's nothing wrong with buying a stake at the market next to, you know, next to the temple uh, as a believer. It doesn't taint the stake. So Paul gives specific instruction about that. Uh, but these folks, we can see even what he wrote to the Corinthians that it was a problem because if you're not careful, you're going to get sucked right into this. And that's what was happening in Pergamos. And to commit fornication. Uh, you know, I'm thankful for America. I don't live in a land where being religious means you do that. But that's what it meant in these Roman cities. If you're a religious good person, you go worship at the temple. That's what was involved. Now, what's the Lord's answer? Chapter 2, look at verse 16. God always offers hope. We, we tend to look at the word repent to these churches as a threatening word. It was not. When you're living under this fear... And this filth, and maybe you've been drawn into temptation when the Lord says, repent, I want to restore you to fellowship. That's a wonderful word. And so that's what he says in verse 16, repent, or okay, else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Same sword. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. So what is the Lord saying? Come worship me, and all the delights of real worship, I'll reward you. Is God against magnificent cities? No, He's building one for us. And what He's building, Pastor Brown was talking about this Sunday night, is going to outshine anything 
that the Romans ever constructed or the Greeks. Okay. So that's Pergamum. Any questions? And, and I can't even begin to give you perspective. Just look at your model again. But when you're standing up there and you can see for miles in any direction, it's, it's amazing. Let's move on then. Theatira. This is modern Ahisar in Turkey. Let me make sure I pronounce this right. I saw it spelled in a way that you could pronounce it. Ahisar. I think the I is long anyway. But that's Theatira. Now let's look at your map again. You'll see that that is southeast of Pergamus. Theatira, which is the Greek in the Greek language, means daughter, goddess name, 290 BC, in honor of the birth of the daughter of King Seleucus I Nicator. One of Alexander the Great's generals who later ruled this area. It was a prosperous trading town located on the Roman road from Pergamus to Laodicea. The city hosted a major cult to the pagan god Apollo, who's the son of Zeus. Have any of you read Iliad, Odyssey, any of those? If you take a, a, a deeper look into the, the Greek gods, it really is amazing. It's always been amazing to me how Satan can deceive people. They make this stuff up and then it becomes their worship system. And the cults do the same thing. But who's married to who, and who cheated on who, and whose who's kid is who, and what a mess. But these folks believed it. Okay, They could tell you who's, who's, uh, who belongs to who, and who can do what, and who's been banished, and who's good, who's bad. Alright? So, this city was also famous for producing purple dye, beautiful works of bronze, and was a center of the indigo trade. The trade guilds in Theatira were well known and more organized than in any other city in Asia Minor. So if I say to you, what is Detroit known for? What would you say? Cars. Okay. In the Roman Empire, Theatira, where would their minds go? Purple dye. Okay. And these these people are remarkable. You you walk down the, the main streets in places like Theatira or Corinth. People were well-dressed. You saw silk. Uh, you think we've arrived? When I, no, 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 no. They had it all. And this beautiful purple. But everybody knew where it came from. It's Theatira. And the bronze that came out of there as well. 
Okay, so the trade guilds, I want you to just focus on that for a moment because we're going to meet a lady who is one of, part of one of these, a well-known lady, a prestigious lady, is one of these trade guilds, and uh, one day she meets the Apostle Paul. All right, so here, here are some things to, to consider. This picture up here, I wish I could have fit more of it in, but remember I said that with all of these cities, there is always an Acropolis. The Acropolis was where, it was the fortress where everybody fled if there was an invading army. When you go to Theatira, right up, that picture up in the left-hand corner, if you look up from there, there's this high mountain, there's another, there's an Acropolis up there. Corinth had one, all, if, if they, the city wasn't built up there, they had one so everybody could flee and be safe. But the, the thing that's a little more frustrating about Theatira is when I say that there's a modern city there, they just built throughout it. So you have to walk around town and find this and that of the old city because they just occupied the space. You look at these ruins and then look past it and what you see in the background, that's all, that's all housing. Okay, and so you drive through the city in your bus and, and then you'll come into this one section where there, there are ruins and then you'll come into another section somewhere else and oh yeah, the amphitheater's over there so you have to go down 5th Street and turn on, yeah, whatever. Um, not all the cities are like that. Ephesus is not like, there's nothing been built on that. Theatira, no, nobody's building up there. Um, or a Pergamus, but Theatira is a little bit different. But again, the amphitheater, the stage, they would conduct city business here at night and at you know, different times. Orators would speak or they'd actually have plays. And they would pack, pack this out. You talk about great construction, 2,000 years later, it's all holding up pretty good. So let's talk about the church. During his second missionary journey, Paul traveled to Philippi, Acts 16. In fact, we have time. Uh, yeah, we have time. Let's go to Acts 16. Let's go ahead and just read it. Look at verse 13. You've read this many times, but now you know where she's from. Verse 13, And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of... Yeah, Theatira, which worship God. Now that's interesting. She's part of a pagan city, but she worships the true God. Okay? Heard us whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. When she was baptized and her household, she brought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide with me, and she constrained us. Now, 
Well, I wish we could take some time with this. You've got to remember that a woman in the Greco-Roman world had a whole lot more rights and, and could conduct business, do things that Jewish women didn't do. So she she's somebody. And what we know, even studying the history of Theatira, uh, with what she's doing, the fact she's selling it means that she was part of one of these guilds back home. Uh, these guilds every year had their own festivals. Uh, they, uh, they conducted business, competed with the other guilds. That, um, we could say it this way, it would be the modern equivalent of being part of the union. Okay. And it came to pass, verse 16, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain. And then the whole incident of Philippi happened. But before that, this is instructive for us, right? And when we get there in the book of Acts, preaching through, uh, we'll bring this out. So they had just seen this woman in her household say, wow, great day, great day. And then Satan gets involved. This woman possessed by a devil, Paul and Silas get beaten and thrown in prison. You, you all know what happened there. So, but let's, let's read on here. So she listened to the preaching, was saved. Her household also came to Christ. They were baptized. It's likely that Lydia's family traveled back to Theatira, spread the gospel in the city, and a church was formed. Okay. Believers from Ephesus may also have had or also have helped establish the work. I remember I mentioned Acts 19.10. Let's just go over a few chapters and take a look at that. Because these folks are still involved in Great Commission work. I mean, when they get saved, they go out to tell. And here's what Acts 19.10 uh, says. These, these are people that had just come to Christ. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. All of Asia? Well, look at your notes in that map I gave you at the beginning of the location of all those churches. They get saved. They travel these Roman roads to these other cities. And everybody's talking about the gospel. See, were they being that effective? It caused a riot in Ephesus. It shutting down the work of the coppersmiths. People aren't buying idols anymore. And they're complaining in one of those big amphitheaters, these people have turned the world, Roman world, upside down with their teaching. You tell me, was the gospel making inroads? Wow. So, early on, you got to remember, this is pretty early in, in the book of Acts, Jerusalem, Pentecost, the spread, these churches. This is pretty early even in the history of the church in the Roman Empire. They have not yet started to experience the full-blown persecution that we're re going to read about with guys like Nero when Peter and Paul come to the end of their lives. So this, 
this is the gospel having immediate powerful impact on an empire. If that makes sense to you. Okay, so who helped start this church? We have to believe that Lydia was a part of that. Uh, and then perhaps these believers that get saved in, in Ephesus, they just keep they keep going down these roads. Um, I, I, I think, you know, maybe businessmen out of these cities. Well, I've, you know, I've got to be out of town this week, honey. I'll be up in Laodicea. And what's he doing up there? He's conducting business and witnessing. And meeting with the believers. Probably staying with the believers because you don't want to stay in any of these hotels in these places. All right, so these believers are getting to know each other. Uh, what what a exciting time this was for the church. Now, what does Jesus have to say to this church? Well, the longest message from the Savior was given to the church at Theatira. Of all that he says to the seven churches, this church gets the longer message. Some of the guilds in the city were known for their excellent bronze work. So here's how the Lord presents himself. Verse 18. These things saith he, saith, I'm sorry, the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire. Stop. You read in any of that Greek mythology about the gods and flame coming out of it? Okay. That's all make-believe. Not our God. Not the Lord Jesus. His eyes, a penetrating flame. Okay? Flame. And remember I talked about uh, the brass work, the bronze work. Okay? And his feet are like fine brass. <laughs> All right, they shine. There's, okay, no, no tarnish. So the church shined in her ministry. Look now. Let me get, let me get back there. Revelation 2. How would you like to have the Lord say this about your church? Verse 19. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. You started out, you were doing, you were doing pretty good, but what you're doing now, as far as your works, your ministry for me, greater than, than when you started. All right? So she shined, but she was severely tarnished in her morals. Look at the next verse. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Same two problems as up in Pergamos, only they've got a bigger problem. There's a woman who claims to be a believer, claims to have the gift of prophecy, and she's in the church. And she is teaching, prophesying, that it's okay to eat things offered to idols and to commit fornication. Wow. You're kidding, right? It was happening right there. And who's the example that the Lord uses to compare her with? Jezebel. Ugh. Okay. 
So, shined in her ministry as a church, severely tarnished in her morals. Now here's what's ironic. Although a woman had likely been used to the Lord to help start this church, a self-professed prophetess was tearing it down. What a turn of events. So, God promised the judgment of a sick bed on this woman. Alan Johnson said this, On a bed she had sinned, on a bed she will suffer. There you go again. See? So the Lord loves. Here's your chance. All right. Those who followed her teaching would face tribulation and death. Verse 23. Verse 23, they're called her children. They're going to face death, those who followed her teaching. So all the churches would know God searches the minds and the hearts. That's verse 23. I asked the question earlier, and, and Pastor Norrell helped us. Why this group of churches? Well, whatever the Lord is teaching those churches and whatever He's doing in those churches, everybody in the neighborhood's going to know. Do you think this is important to the Lord? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So once again, the Lord offers the gracious hope of repentance and future reward to those who hold fast until He returns. Now, this also reminds us, I thank God for good news, but there are churches all across this area and all across the country where things are happening in those churches that are not pleasing to the Lord. That said, there are people in those churches who are pleasing the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Is the Lord pleased with them? Yes, he is. Okay. Again, we we kind of we try we we Americanize our thinking on this. If the church at Laodicea is struggling, where do you go? Not a church two blocks over. There ain't one. You stay in the church and you fix it. You follow what God has said. Okay, now. Would the Lord be displeased if there were ten churches in Laodicea? Not, not at all. And by the way, there was probably one church and there may have been ten house churches because everybody couldn't meet in the same place. You know, So that, that happened as well. But the point is, God sees. And folks folks get discouraged because, well, I'm, I'm in a church and I know things aren't, aren't you know, they're... Things are not pleasing the Lord there, and I guess when I get to heaven, that's going to be on me. Not if you're faithful to the Lord where He's got you. He sees, He you knows. And so, even in these churches where there are all kinds of problems, He points out what you're doing well, and I know. And even in a place like Pergamos, where people are being martyred, and yet other people are compromising, God knows those who are staying true. And so keep that in mind even in your service to the Lord. God sees, God knows, regardless of what other believers around you may be doing. He knows. 
And our loyalty to Him is what we have to stay focused on. Any closing thoughts? Is this a help to you? Yeah, these, it's just, just amazing. It's even better when you're standing there and reading these passages and looking around and going, oh, wow. To know, you know, we got to walk where Jesus walked. How about walking where Paul walked? You go through an archway in Theatira and you wonder, I wonder if Lydia ever walked through this way. Don't know. When we're going, it's perfect. It's going to be spring weather. It's you know, you get up in some of those higher places, have a have a windbreaker, but other than that, it's gorgeous. Good time to go. And remember, you're surrounded on one side at least by that big. You've got the Aegean there, and all that's blowing, usually blowing. Uh, east, so it's just very pleasant. All right, Father, thank you for our time together tonight. Bless uh, as these folks head home, and Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you allow us to see. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for being our illuminator as we study your word. Uh, help us not to just be hearers, but doers of your word. Uh, considering our own selves and how uh, loyal we are to you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. And we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.